Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. Thank you. Terrible news um, from southeastern Turkey and northern Syria after a 7.8 earthquake struck the region. Thousands of buildings, apartment buildings, demolished just in Turkey. That's according to the President Erdogan. Uh, the earthquake struck at about four in the morning, just after four in the morning, local time, meaning most people were in their beds, most people were Sleeping, asleep. Yeah. Reports saying that collapsed buildings in at least 10 cities, reaching as far away as 200 miles from the epicenter in Turkey, Diyarbakir, down in Syria, Aleppo, Hama. Gaziantep, which to be totally honest, was a city whose name I hadn't even known before today. Um, the closest major Turkish city to the epicenter of the earthquake, a city of two million. There are a lot of people who live very, very close by to where this happened. Horrible, horrible, horrible news. And for any of you who spend too much time on social media, which I do, some of the, the videos and images that are coming out are awful to look at. And the ones, I'm, I, we're not going to play them here on the show, but the ones that affected me the most or upset me the most, distressed me the most, are the videos that are being recorded by people who are still alive under the rubble, under collapsed buildings, and are sending messages out, I think as any of us would do in a situation like that, hey, I'm here, I'm alive, come get me, find me. Um, already that information is very valuable to the people outside. They know that somebody they care about or love is still alive. It's possible to save them, but for a lot of people, unless you, unless you have your phone in your pocket or, or the right next to you, in a stroke of good luck, there are... I, I, don't, I don't have a number to put on it. There are at least dozens of people, if not hundreds of people, if not more, who are alive right now, trapped under the rubble as mm -hmm. we speak, and who are hoping that rescuers can come and get them within this 72-hour window. That um, well, yeah, well, that's the thing. What, what kind of rescuers do you need at this point? As, as we walked down to the studio from our office here in Deutsche Welle, we were watching the TVs here, and, and there was... 10 or 12 different people standing on rubble and clearly wanting to look underneath that rubble for people, but just, you can't. Helpless. Absolutely helpless. Those are the images that all of us are going to be seeing for days and weeks. Um, helpless people trying to do things, but not having the tools to do it faster or more accurately and to save more lives. A lot of people are going to lose their lives uh, because we're not going to know where they are exactly. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to be talking today on the, on the show about technology that is at the moment being developed, um, being researched and, and worked on, but unfortunately doesn't doesn't exist yet. Yeah, we're gonna sh we're gonna shift the scene, I guess, from southeastern Turkey, northern Syria over to something that is happening in Germany basically right now. Uh, it's in a German city called Wesel, mm -hmm. and where a research project that, I, that has been underway for at least a couple years mm -hmm. is finally being demonstrated. And this is an EU-funded and Japanese-funded project called Cursor. Right. So what? It's there are multiple components to it. It has to do with creating robots that are able to get in underneath rubble and look for any motion using radar, also using an artificial nose to smell, um, and the, the, there are also drones 
creating a 3D map of the area where that robot mm-hmm. uh, is in. Bef- before we go any further, let's let's listen to one of the researchers, a guy named Krishna Persad of Manchester University, who is developing that artificial nose. And that's a, a key component because that's one, maybe the most effective way, weirdly enough, to start looking when you enter a scene, a death zone like this rubble. My part in the cursor project is to provide a, a sniffer module. And the idea is to be able to detect uh, live victims from disease victims. So detecting live persons uh, is a priority in search and rescue. So we can actually do that by actually sniffing volatile compounds that come from the human body. Yeah, those are volatile yeah. organic compounds. That's what Krishna Persad was talking about there, that those volatile compounds. What there's a, the big four that they're looking for. When we exhale, isoprene, acetone, ethanol, and methanol. By sniffing for certain concentrations of those compounds, you can tell whether there is a living human being under that rubble. Yeah, this is connected to uh, a field we've talked about on the show before, medical breath analysis. Uh, We talked to a researcher at Max Planck Institute, Jonathan Williams, about how they were using that uh, to measure stress levels. This was actually happening inside of a a cinema, a movie theater. Uh, And the more stressed people were, the more isoprene they exhaled. So you're not just breathing out CO2, you're breathing out all sorts of stuff. And you can you can measure that and what i didn't know up until today basically is that you can not only measure that you can use that as a as a way to get closer to somebody who's still alive or who's who's still breathing trapped underneath the rubble it gives you a sense based on the sensor of, of where to look and then in conjunction with that uh, this cursor project is looking at a way of creating a 3d map uh, of the rubble of the area where a building is collapsed and the way they're doing that um is with drones. Swarm cameras, so five different cameras in a drone. And to explain this better, Friedrich Steinhauser, uh, a German researcher, is involved uh, with the Cursor project. The 3D modeling drones use the so-called photogrammetry as the basic technology. That means uh, we're sending out about five drones, very fast little drones who scan the area along pre-programmed flight route. And along each uh, flight route, they take hundreds of photos on stored on SD cards, memory cards on the drone. Usually, it takes about 30 minutes to receive a so-called auto map. That means it's a very detailed map from a bird's eye view of the area. And after about two hours of calculation, we have a 3D model of every house, every building of the landscape that we've flown over. So this, I can only imagine, is one of the most useful things you could possibly have in a situation like this. Where are, where are the pockets yep. where rooms, hopefully, uh, haven't collapsed, where, where human beings could still be alive or are still alive? Or if you've, you, you've sensed some of those volatile organic compounds, where would they probably be coming from? Which, which area are we looking at? And how do you get to that room or those pockets? With the map, you can do that. And you can also, the last component is this: are these auditory sensors. You're able to listen for anything. Yeah. Uh, and also for, for movement. The, the deep penetrating radar is to assess, is there a pulse or yeah, a beating heart? Yeah, that's uh, some technology that 
is is available has been for quite a while. Again, we're talking about this cursor project, which is just now being demonstrated. Um, about ten years ago, NASA's JPL laboratory looked at the same question: how could how could we look through this this destroyed building and figure out if a person down there is still alive? And they came to a different conclusion or a different solution to the same problem. Theirs was to use microwave radar that effectively looks for movement and is so accurate that it can detect a beating heart or pulse <laughs> down there. It can sense that. It can, it, can, it can see that. And what they did, what NASA does, because NASA doesn't make technology, it doesn't sell things, they subcontracted that technology out to this, to this company based in Florida and uh, said basically, look, could you produce this thing? Because this is as, as, a, as a field kit, as like a briefcase, as a little suitcase you take with you, this could be very useful. Uh, that product is now in its, I think it's third iteration, the third version of it. It is available. It's been used successfully in Nepal. It's been used in Mexico after the earthquake a couple years ago. It was used in the Bahamas after a hurricane swept through. It works. And what I wanted to ask and, and wasn't successful in figuring out is how many of these are out there? Because every time I've read about this tech being used, it's like four people were saved. It sounds like there are not very many of these kits. What's it called? Uh, the kit is called Finder, and that's an acronym for some crazy long thing. I'm not gonna not gonna read here. No, but Finder, um, I, I emailed the company, and I did get an email back from the CEO. His name's Adrian, and he said, "FYI, I'm on a military base. I can't do interviews at the moment. Best regards." <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming it costs you know a pretty penny. These things aren't cheap, and they're very specific, and they probably don't manufacture much of them. But again, that's. <laughs> In retrospect, boy, do you wish there were con a couple container ships full of these things yeah. sitting somewhere because we have events like this once a year, multiple times every year, not necessarily an earthquake, but a, a natural disaster or a disaster of some kind. They, they talk about explosions as well, Beirut, Lebanon, um, not too long ago. These, these, these tools are very useful. Yeah, uh, going back to the, the image we were talking about before, the 12 guys standing on the rubble, not even knowing how to begin the, the searching process. I mean, this is really dangerous for the people looking and communication uh, when, when you're in the rubble. If you have found something, how, how do you let an, other people know? There's also the last component of this um, cursor project, uh, the communication platform. And this is Dimitra Dionisio. Yeah, a lot of uh, Greek researchers. It has to be Greek, yeah. Seem to be involved, and of course, geologically, it makes sense for them to possibly care about these risks more than Germany. Very, very, very few seismic events here. Um, more down there. Yeah, this is her talking about how important communications is in, 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 these, in these missions. It is uh, helping them because usually uh, in incidents like a large earthquake, for example, which is the scenario that we use in Kershaw, uh, often uh, public uh, communication infrastructures are damaged or overloaded. So we provide uh, a solution uh, that is independent of these infrastructures and therefore uh, provides the connectivity and the opportunity of information to be exchanged without relying um, on systems that are no longer available in an incident. That's kind of one of those things that you hear an expert say and you're like, oh, duh, of course. Mm. You're not, I always imagine plug, plugging things into a wall and they'll start working, of course, in, in these areas. You have to bring everything with you. 
when everything's broken down, even if you were to find someone who's in desperate need of medical care, how do you let the paramedics know? Yeah. If you can't get that person to a hospital, what, what do you do? You, you need a complete self-enclosed system that communicates with others like it, I suppose. Uh, this whole project, as far as I understand it at this point, I know that the EU funded it, Cursor, uh, it funded it to the tune of about seven and a half million euros. Japan committed funding as well. I'm not sure what that number is, but let's just double it and assume that this whole project costs 15 million euros. Um, it, of course, when you're researching and developing new technologies, everything's going to be more expensive. But the one thing that's clear at this point is it's it, it won't be cheap. So if you've seen demonstrations of this technology with all these drones flying around, all this equipment, uh, there you need a lot of stuff for one downed building right and i uh, as as optimistic as this kind of these kinds of developments make me i'm not you would need you would need to invest a lot to have a lot of different capabilities i mean again i talked about thousands of buildings down you would need thousands of these combined kits yeah to to effectively deal with all of that and that's an open question at this point one thing if you look at the cursor site there is nothing nowhere anywhere and it's on the entire website on when any of this technology is going to be ready for application so that i view it tends to make you feel you know kind of um what's the word pessimistic i no, about how, no, no, how no. long it's going to be before well, Opt I, I feel somewhat optimistic because I think this whole it, it's a demonstration of technology. You're showing that you can do it and that it works. It's probably in a way kind of a large pitch once you've demonstrated it toward uh, the kind of international relief or disaster relief organizations around the world that do exist. One of them is FEMA International. For our North American listeners, you're probably most familiar with that one. Uh, just a reminder, though, that FEMA, I'm looking at their website right now, uh, says it prioritizes international engagements with our neighbors, capital N, mm -hmm. those who share our borders or are otherwise geographically proximate to the U.S. That is the priority. There is also the Europe, e European ER. Yeah, the ERCC. ERCC. And the ERCC, which is the Emergency Response Coordination Center, uh, this is the kind of thing that they do. So Turkey is part of this, part of the ERCC. And my hope Really, my hope is that uh, in the coming years, in five years or seven years, that these kinds of kits will be kind of bought wholesale or that we will have, you know, containers sitting waiting to be deployed where you, you send these kits out on an Airbus. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so what you're saying is right now they're they're working on the hard part. Yeah. Developing and demonstrating that it works. And once that's been done, then they can be produced, you know, on a, on a, on a large enough scale so that. I don't know. Every country has has a batch of of Smurf robots that it can be that it can that, that it can use, or you centralize it and and uh, everyone kind of pools their funds. There is a pool as part of this ERCC, and uh, everyone gets together and says, "Look, it happens to some of us some of the time, and mm. let's just let's just create a, a giant." kit a, a huge i don't know thousands of these these kits so that when it does happen we can go in and be um as prepared as possible especially as part of the 72 hour window again the 72 hour window is referencing the fact that human beings can go uh, about three days without, without water without, without access to water water it's a really critical period of time to try to save people's lives after a natural a window that we're in right now right for this horrible earthquake in in southern turkey and 
northern Syria that we've been talking about today. And maybe there's some solace to be taken that 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 work is underway to equip to to get us equipped so that we can deal with these disasters. It's a reminder to me. Of how, look, let's be honest, when you read outside of a major news event like this earthquake, when you read about uh, researchers who are developing a kit to deal with it, it, all that stuff sounds really dry and technical and pretty boring. Most mm. of us don't read that that news content. We're too busy with other stuff that's more fun. But that kind of vaguely, on some level, uh, we should be supportive of such measures, even in times of absolute peace and security and prosperity, that these are the kinds of things that you develop just in case and that aren't there right now. They're they're not there. I don't know. I don't know how much stuff exists to really help in the search and these search and rescue operations. But we need yeah. a lot more. For anyone listening right now who does have information about any of this or any questions or anything to say at all, let us know at su at dw dot com. Science unscripted.